If you have your Bible today, please open with me to the Gospel according to Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 18, and we will begin in verse 31. Luke chapter 18 and verse 31, and we are going to read through the end of the chapter. And today I want to talk to you about the topic of spiritual sight. Spiritual sight. Now I'm not talking about some sort of uh, mystic mumbo-jumbo, I'm, I'm nothing like that, but, but I'm talking about insight into the person and work of Jesus Christ and who He is and what He's done, and all that must come from the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is not something that everybody has, and in fact, uh, you can go to church, you can be acquainted with uh, the things of God, you can have the Scriptures available to you, you can read the Bible, and still not have spiritual insight. And so what we're going to look at today um, is, is really two accounts that are set in juxtaposition uh, with one another. One shows, uh, it, it illustrates, it shows some people who don't have spiritual insight and somebody who does have spiritual insight. And, and ironically, the people who don't have this spiritual sight are the disciples. And the person who does, not ha- who does have the spiritual sight is actually a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus. And so um, <clears throat> this, this spiritual sight that I'm talking about, this is, as I said, something that must come from the Holy Spirit. It's not something that, that we can work up on our own. It's not something that, that, uh, that the unredeemed man has because, uh, I mean, a person can read the Scriptures and they can understand the words that are printed on the page. But until the Spirit of God opens somebody's heart and mind, Uh, which comes to the Holy Spirit, these things are spiritually discerned and and the things of God are foolishness to the person who is not saved. And so we'll we'll get into all this in just a little bit. So if you found Luke 18 and are able, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 31 and read down to verse 43. It says, Then he took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And all things which were written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things. And the meaning of of this statement was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that were said. And as Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now hearing the crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Thank you. You may be seated. Now the first thing I want you to see in our text today is his predicted death. His predicted death. Now you might remember last time when we looked at this, Jesus has just gone through talking to the rich young ruler. You remember that Jesus was out and about. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And this rich young ruler comes to him and asks him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus questions him and tells him eventually to sell all that he has and come follow me. And the man, you remember, he went away sad because he was extremely wealthy. And so he chose his riches over Christ. And so Jesus turns from him 
And he takes his disciples aside in our text today, and he, he begins to share with them and, and tell them, try to prepare them. He warns them about his impending death and resurrection. Look again at what it says in verse 31. He says two things. Number one, he says, we're going to Jerusalem. So that's, remember, that's where he's headed. That's where he's going to be tried and, and crucified. And also he says that all the things that were written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. Now, I just want to camp out here for just a little bit, and I want, to, I want to draw your attention to a couple of things. First, notice how he refers to himself. If you look at what he says, he calls himself the Son of Man. The Son of Man. Now, that is not an unfamiliar term for us, because when we read it, I mean, that's, that's Jesus, one of Jesus' favorite um, uh, titles that he gives to himself. But this is a messianic reference. He is saying when he, when he calls himself the Son of Man, he is making a claim to being the Messiah. This is a messianic title that actually comes from the Old Testament, but it's only used one time when it refers to the Messiah, and that's out of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7. Now in Daniel 7, verses 9 and 10, Daniel sees a vision, and the Bible uh, uses the terminology of the Ancient of Days. He sees, he sees God, the Ancient of Days, seated on His throne, and, and this, this Son of Man, this Messiah, comes to Him. So in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, we're introduced to the Son of Man as follows. Daniel says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and its kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So this imagery of, of this Messiah being a king is very familiar throughout the Bible. It's one of the places that we see it, it's here. Also, you remember earlier in the book of Daniel, there was a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. You remember him? He had this, this, this dream of a statue. And the statue is made up of all these different materials. You remember this? And there's the, the head of gold and so on and so forth. And in that dream, he, dre he dreamt about this stone which fell out of heaven and crushed this, this, um, the, this statue and this stone grew into a mountain that filled the entire earth. And he was troubled about this dream, and he asked what the interpretation of it was. And part of that interpretation, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, it says, In the days of, of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it, it, it will itself endure forever. So this... This Messiah, this ancient, this Son of Man, is going to be a king. He's going to set up a kingdom which will endure forever. We we see similar language in Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven. You remember this out of uh, whenever we talk about Christmas, we we read the scripture, we quote the scripture. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And that's the the, the part where we focus on. But listen to verse seven. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and of his kingdom, and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness, from then on forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Jesus came preaching about the kingdom of God being, uh, being present as he was ushering it in. In the Great Commission, Jesus talks about all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth because he has received this kingdom. He has received this authority. And so I, I, I mention all this because Jesus, he calls himself the Son of Man. And we read that and we don't really think anything of it, but there is a lot of baggage that goes along. Not bad baggage, just lots of stuff 
that's laden in that term, the Son of Man. And so when he calls himself the Son of Man, he's saying, I, the Messiah, am going to Jerusalem to die. He says, I am God's anointed king, but first, the cross before the crown. He, he says, I've got to suffer these things in Jerusalem. He says, all these things that are prophesied about me in the Old Testament are going to be fulfilled in not very long. Not too long from now, you're going to see all these prophecies that you've read all your lives fulfilled right before your eyes. Now, this is not the first time he's warned the disciples about the upcoming, his upcoming death. Back in chapter 9, it's been some time since we looked at it, but in Luke chapter 9, verses 21 to 27, he foretells his, his, his death, but he focuses then on the rejection of the religious leaders. And then later on in chapter 9, verses 44 through and 45, he, talk, he says that his crucifixion is going to come by way of betrayal. And so he's, he's expanding it out, getting more detailed. So then when we get here, he not only says that, that, that he's, going to, he's going to die, it's not going to only be by betrayal, but you'll also notice he has the element of how it's, going to, how it's going to happen. He's going to be spit upon, he's going to be scourged, he's going to be crucified. The Gentile Romans would be involved in his death. I mean, there's just all these things. He just keeps making the picture bigger and bigger. So when it happens... His, his followers should look at this and say, Oh yeah, Jesus said this was going to happen. But they missed it. Now none of this was a surprise to Jesus. It wasn't that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when all the, all the, the Roman cohort, cohort shows up, as well as Judas and so forth, it's not that he went, Oh, I didn't see that one coming. No, he's been telling us and telling the disciples this for, for years that this is going to happen. But not only that, not only had he prepared them, the scriptures have prepared them. You'll notice that he says that all these things have been predicted in the Old Testament. Now, if you have a pen and you like to, to make notes about things, I would encourage you to get a, a, a pen uh, and, and write some of these references down in your bulletin just to go back and look at them later. We're not going to talk about all the, all the scriptures that, uh, that point to his death and resurrection, but I'm going to mention just a few. And if you don't get them, uh, if you don't catch them... Uh, you can go back and look at the video, which I just found out. If you've been trying to watch the video the last four to six weeks, the live stream that we've done has had no audio. I just found that out just last week. So I've got to go back, and I, I, think, I, can, I think I can get that fixed because we recorded it two different ways, but that's been unfortunate. So you may actually, if you, hopefully, hopefully you'll just catch it. So um, here are a few of the, the texts that talk about his death and resurrection. <laughs> Psalm 22 talks about his experience on the cross. Isaiah 53 talks about the extreme beating that he endures, about his beard being plucked out and, and his crucifixion, his substitu substitutionary uh, death on the cross as the stripes that were, uh, the, the chastisement due to his people was laid upon him and by his stripes we are healed and so forth. There is also an allusion to his resurrection at the end. Uh, Psalm 49, 15 talks about, refers to Judas betraying him. Zechariah chapter 11 Verses 12 and 13 talks about the 30 pieces of silver that Judas was paid to betray him. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, speaks of the Messiah being cut off. That means being put to death, as does Isaiah 53. Uh, Psalm 1610 refers to the resurrection. Uh, you remember Peter quotes that at, at Pentecost and, and says that, that uh, th this was prophesied because he, the Bible says that his body would not undergo decay or see corruption. Uh, psalm 2 is an enthronement psalm. I mean, the, te the, the text just keeps going on and on. And the Bible has told the, the Jews at the time and is telling us all this was foretold. This was all part of the plan of God. And Jesus is telling the disciples, I'm telling you all this beforehand. All this is going to be fulfilled. I am the Messiah. 
but I'm not gonna, it's not gonna, my Messiahship doesn't look the way everybody's expecting. Okay, so we, we first see his, his prophesied death. Next, I want you to see their spiritual blindness. Their spiritual blindness. Look again at, uh, look again at verse 34. We tend to set the apostles up on a pedestal. And think of them as like super saints. In a lot of ways, they were. I mean, they were performing miracles. They were doing all these things. They got to be with Jesus. And so we should have them elevated in our minds in, in that sense. But we have to remember, they were people just like we are. And they missed a lot of stuff just like we do. And, and, and they had a special place in the infancy of the church. But as I've, mentioned, as I've mentioned in the past, many times they put the duh in disciples. I mean, they, they, just, they just missed it. Now, I want you to notice verse 34 Luke tells us three different ways that they were spiritually blind. I mean, there's no way to avoid what he's saying. Look at what it says. First, the disciples understood none of these things. Second, the meaning was was hidden from from them. And third, they did not comprehend the things that were said. I think that means that they didn't get it. Now, Jesus has been with them for like three years. They've heard and seen amazing things. They were getting small group instruction. He was pulling them out. And even within the 12, he was pulling out different groups and, and teaching them and, and showing them things and, and, and speaking with them. They, they were getting these amazing privileges, and yet they were spiritually blind. And part of the reason, you notice in the middle of verse 34, was beyond their control. Notice it says that these things were hidden from their eyes. And, and it's God who gives the spiritual insight. It's God who illuminates the Scriptures. And that's why when we read the Scriptures, when we sit down to listen to a sermon or whatever it is, our prayer doesn't have to be in these words, but our prayer, our heart's desire should be, God, let me have eyes to see and ears to hear. Open my heart, open my mind so that, we can, so, so that I can see and understand what's in your word. And if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've had those aha moments, haven't you? You've been reading the scriptures, maybe something you've, maybe you could quote it. I mean, you've read it and read it and read it. You've heard sermons about it. You've read books that have talked about it. And then all of a sudden, one day, you read it and it's like a light goes on. It's like, how did I never see that? It's right here in front of me. And then, up until that point, you've never been able to see it, and now you can't see anything but that. Have you ever had that happen? It's like, it's just so obvious. That happens when the Holy Spirit illumines our hearts and minds. He helps us to understand the Word of God. The Spirit of God will take the Word of God and apply it to the hearts and minds of the people of God to instruct them, to encourage them, to comfort them, to guide them. And oh, that God will give each of us spiritual sight. And finally, I want you to see the blind man's sight. The blind man's sight. And we see this in verses 35 through 43. Now, for a while, whenever I was reading this, and I was thinking about things, I was studying, and I tried to just let things sit in my mind for a while, try to kind of mull them over, ruminate, you know, an old cow chews the cud. That's, that's kind of what I do. I like to kind of roll it over, just, just process it. Figure out how it fits together. Figure out what, what the, the biblical writer is trying to communicate. And it, for a while it kind of bothered me. Why do we have this weird, well, it's not really weird, it's just we, we have the rich young ruler, and then we have blind Bartimaeus, and then we have this little part about Jesus um, talking to the disciples. Why is that there? And why is blind Bartimaeus mentioned? Because we know, okay, it happened chronologically here, but, but there's a lot of things that Jesus did. Why did Luke, under 
inspiration of the Holy Spirit, why did he make sure to record and put this here? And I think the reason why is because these two things go together. We have the disciples who, who have all these privileges. They've been with Jesus, all, all the things. They'd seen the, the miracles and so forth. And here's blind Bartimaeus who had none of those things. And he had insight into who Jesus was that the disciples missed. Look at verse 35. Jesus was going through Jericho. Now you might put on your brakes and say, Now pastor, wait a minute. I thought the walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Isn't that what the Bible says? March around the wall. Walls came down. Everybody went straight in and all, all the rest. Rahab, the harlot, and everything. Yes, that happened back in the conquest of Canaan. But after that time, Herod the Great rebuilt the city of Jericho about a mile from where it was originally at. And he put a, a, a winter palace there. And so it was a, it was a wealthy place. It, it, was, it was a beautiful place. And this blind man, Mark records his name as being Bartimaeus, he was sent by the roadside begging. And so this large crowd of people are, are, are passing through. Of course, Jesus is drawing a large crowd. A lot, of, a lot of Jews are going up to Jerusalem for the Passover. So there's just like this big mass of people moving through the area. Bartimaeus hears what's going on, asks what's happening. And they say, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, there's nothing in the title, Jesus of Nazareth, that points to him being the Messiah. It's not like they said Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. They said Jesus of Nazareth, that's his hometown. It'd be like them saying uh, Jeff of Halltown. I mean, there's nothing about his location that points to anything being special about him. But verse 38, he hears this and his response is, he began crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now there's a title of Jesus that we don't see real often, but it too is a messianic title. Son of man is, is a messianic title. Son of David is a messianic title. You, you may have heard similar terminology earlier whenever I referenced Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. In Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, it talks about him sitting on the throne of his father, David. In the Old Testament, God made a covenant with David that he would always have a descendant on the throne. You remember out of Luke, Luke chapter 1, there's the birth announcement. The angel came to, to Mary. And, and here's what he says in verses 31 to 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you, will, you shall name him Jesus. And he'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Do you hear these themes coming up over and over and over again? This Messiah is going to be the king. And he's going to have an everlasting kingdom. Now, the blind man was not there whenever the angel came and spoke to Mary. Bartimaeus was not there whenever Jesus brought the twelve aside and said, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Messiah. He was not there whenever Jesus walked on the water. He was not there whenever any of these things happened. He, he, he did not witness Jesus healing the blind. He was not witness to any of those things. And yet he has more spiritual insight than these men who were with him for years. And I want you to get this. Don't think that because you go to church, you have a bunch of spiritual advantages. You have spiritual advantages. That does not mean you have spiritual insight. You can sit in the pew. You can stand behind the pulpit and not have spiritual insight. That has to come from the Holy Spirit. It must be granted to you from on high. So this man calls out and he begins to make a ruckus. 
Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And, and he's, he's crying out. And, and people, all the people around began to hush him up. And I was wondering if it was some of the disciples who also said, now keep your kids away. If they turn around to this blind man and said, now hush up. We, we don't know who it was that told him to hush. But anyway, they, 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 they sternly warned him. They, they said, be quiet. And then it says that he cried out all the more. And the word that's used is different from the first time. When he began to cry out the first time, he was being loud. When it, when it says he cried out all the more, the wording that's used is he, he began to, to shriek. He began to scream. He, he began to yell at the top of his lungs. And you can imagine, I mean, he would not be silenced. He was going to do business with Jesus. It didn't matter who, who was disturbed by his volume. So Jesus stopped, had him brought to him, asked him what he wanted. The man pleaded to regain his sight. Now, earlier in Luke, whenever Jesus was beginning his ministry, he was doing all these miracles, there was a focus on his authority. Jesus spoke, and it happened. And here we see much the same thing. It's kind of like a bookend. This is the last miracle Jesus performs before his Passion Week. So Jesus, the man says, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus spoke, and it happened. He said, regain your sight. And immediately, it wasn't like the man had to go to the doctor and get some drops and have his eyes dilated and get some corrective lenses. It didn't want any of that. Jesus said it, and it happened. It reminds me of Genesis chapter 1. God said, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus said, regain your sight, and it happened. And as I thought about this, I thought, what amazing compassion Jesus had. Because whenever I'm stressed out, I'm not fit to be around. I'm not hardly fit to be around anyway. But especially when I'm stressed out, I'm grouchy, short-tempered, all those things, even worse than usual. And Jesus is, I mean, this this is the last thing he does, miracle-wise, before his Passion Week, before he begins to suffer and die. He's getting ready, he's going to talk to Zacchaeus. But the very next chapter, he's doing the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. I mean, he is right at death's door if that's me i'd be thinking about me if that's me i wouldn't be thinking about somebody coming up and 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 wanting to regain their side and, and all those things I, I just i just wouldn't be in the mood for it but jesus thankfully is not like me he stopped and he healed this man and bartimaeus understandably he regained his side began to glorify god and praise and follow jesus now here we have accounts that deal with spiritual sight the disciples didn't have it all the advantages you could, you could ask for. They had Christ in their midst. They had seen all the miracles. They had the scriptures. And I was, in passing, I just want to say this is a key for reading the scriptures. Whenever you read the Bible, realize it's all about Jesus. It all points to Him. But they had all these things, but they didn't have the spiritual insight. And here's a blind man who ironically can see who Jesus is. He lives his life in darkness, and yet he can see who Jesus is more clearly than the disciples. He recognizes him as Messiah. He hadn't seen his, his loved one's face. He hadn't seen a blue sky or, or, or an orange sunset or, or the green grass blowing in the wind. He hadn't seen any of that, but yet he knew who Jesus was. He didn't get that on his own. And again, I just want to encourage you as a, as a Christian, whenever you read the Scriptures, whenever you listen to, to me or any other preacher, your, your prayer 
doesn't have to be in these words, but your prayer, your desire should be that God would open your heart and your mind so you can understand the Scriptures. Ask that He would illuminate the Scriptures for you and, and help you to understand what His Word says and speak to you from His Word. And it could be that you have never seen Jesus for who He is. It could be that you are spiritually blind. You've never seen Jesus as Messiah. You've never seen Jesus as the Son of God who died on the cross for the sins of mankind. People from all tribes, tongues, nations, backgrounds, skin colors, languages, every, every people group. If you will call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you will trust Him as Savior, you will be saved. And, and if even now God is drawing you to Himself, that's not coming from you. That's not something that you've worked up in yourself. If God is drawing you, the Bible says don't harden your heart. Don't turn away from Him. Don't reject Him any longer. But instead, repent of your sins. Confess them to God. Trust Christ for salvation. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want you to examine your own heart. Maybe you're spiritually proud because you think that all your great Bible knowledge has come from you. Think you're responsible for it. Think you don't need the Holy Spirit to, to, to guide you into all truth. Maybe you read the scriptures and they don't say anything to you. You don't get anything out of it. Maybe you need to ask God to give you eyes to see, ears to hear. It could be that even today, God is opening up your heart opening up your mind. He's giving you eyes to see Christ in His glory. And you know that if you were to stand in God's presence today as a sinful person, there's no reason that you would go to heaven. But the good news of the gospel is even though we've all sinned and even though that sin separates us from God, that God has made a way. And the Bible says that if we'll Turn to God. If we will call on the name of the Lord, He will save us. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you've never done that, now's the, now's the time to do it. You can do it right where you are. And Heavenly Father, thank you that you have uh, given us your word. Thank you that you have uh, that, that you speak to us through your Spirit, which uh, guides us, which enlightens our minds, which illuminates the Scriptures. 
And God, if there's somebody here who, um, who doesn't know you in a saving way, I ask that you would draw them to yourself today. And God, for those of us who are Christians, I pray that you would help each of us to get um, more out of our time whenever we read the scriptures. Help us to uh, rely on you for insight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.